Blood Cancer Experience, a podcast by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. This podcast connects people affected by a blood cancer to resources that inform, support, educate, and empower. When it comes to cancer, it's hard to navigate the unknown, and there are no easy answers. We are here to bring you the information you need to help you make sense of every step of the blood cancer experience. My name is Sonia Muto and I'm the Community Program Coordinator for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. Today, I'm talking about myelofibrosis with Dr. Pierre Villeneuve, hematologist at the Ottawa General Hospital. Thank you, Dr. Villeneuve, for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I was wondering if we could start off with uh, what is myelofibrosis in a nutshell? Myelofibrosis is a rare form of uh, bone marrow cancer which is a part of a group of disease called myeloproliferative neoplasms or MPNs. And it's a disease that is characterized by uh, abnormal production of blood cells uh, so that the bone marrow is unable to produce normal red cells. So patients have anemia, they're uh, unable or have impaired ability to produce platelets. So patients are high risk of bleeding. Also the immune system is quite affected. So patients are immunocompromised. So they are at high risk of infection. In addition, uh, there's all sort of chemicals or cytokines that are released that are present in this disease that causes patients to have symptoms such as weight loss or night sweats and feeling generally unwell. And they generally have a big spleen which causes symptoms in their abdomen where they're unable to uh, take as much food and is also associated with uh, weight loss. What is the process for diagnosing myelofibrosis? So uh, because it's a bone marrow disease, the way you make a diagnosis is really by looking at the bone marrow. And the way you do that is by doing what we call a bone marrow biopsy, where a bone marrow extract is, is uh, extraction is performed and then looked at by a pathologist. And what uh, we see in patients who have myelofibrosis is an increase in the number of uh, bone marrow cells or blood cells. Um, so they have a hypercellular bone marrow um, and also something that is quite, character, quite characteristic of myelofibrosis is the presence of fibrosis, or uh, which effectively is a scarring of the bone marrow. And the other characteristic feature of uh, myelofibrosis is the presence of blasts, or, which are effectively uh, cancer cells. In addition to the microscopic examination of the bone marrow, we also perform a number of genetic testings that uh, are very important, not only to confirm the diagnosis, but also are very important in terms of prognosis. What do you think a person who was recently diagnosed with myelofibrosis should know? Uh, I think the first thing is to realize that there's a whole range of, of uh, severity of the disease. So what I mean by that is there's, there are patients that really have no or very little symptoms. They're just found by their family doctor typically to have very mild abnormalities. And these patients have a very good prognosis and are unlikely to require treatment for years and years sometimes. Um, and whereas there's patients who have much more advanced disease and require uh, significant intervention and have a poor uh, prognosis. So it's, uh, I think it's important for patients to know uh, where they stand uh, especially when they start to look uh, things up on the internet. I think if they don't know where the stands, it's very, it can be very confusing because they may mix up uh, therapeutic options and lots of them may not be applicable to their need. 
Um, the other thing, of, of course, that is quite important is uh, to understand what are the therapeutic options that are uh, possible for them. Uh, so the therapeutic options range from uh, just observation, so that means you do nothing, um, uh, to just transfusion or treatment that involve chemotherapy or pharmacotherapy, or even in the uh, more severe cases, uh, stem cell transplantation. So it is important uh, for patients to not only understand what type of therapeutic option is available for them, but also understand what are the advantages and disadvantages of uh, each treatment options and see how that fits with their personal preference. I think uh, one thing I like to, to make sure is that patients are well informed. So in addition to an opportunity to discuss in the clinical setting, um, I provide them with reference such as that uh, offered by the uh, Leukemia Lymphoma Society of Canada. And finally, I like to, to stress to patients that um, there is, uh, there's hope. Uh, so there's more and more uh, progress and research in myelofibrosis than it has ever been. And as such, that uh, I think it's uh, realistic to think that uh, things will only get uh, better. You touched briefly on some treatment options. Can you, can you describe those options to us and what, would, what is taken into account when deciding on a treatment? Yeah, very, very, very good question. So, uh, so the things that are taken into account are the severity of the, of the disease, uh, the patient's comorbidity and functional status. So somebody who's very old and frail versus somebody who's very young and fit uh, may be able to tolerate treatment very differently. And uh, patient preference. So patient may have preference for, or more prone to be, to take more risky treatment, for instance, than other for whatever reason. Um, so, um, so in light of that, uh, uh, so different treatment options will be offered to, to patients. So patients who have no symptoms or minimal symptoms, these patients really typically will not be offered anything. And that's because there's no studies that have been shown that these patients would benefit in terms of life expectancy or quality of life of any form of treatment. Um, so for patients who have symptoms, uh, this treatment is adapted to the symptoms uh, as well as the risk that their disease will transform. So transform meaning transforming into uh, acute leukemia. So uh, for patients who have symptoms that are just linked to anemia, uh, so the treatment options include transfusion and uh, or sometimes uh, treatment with uh, erythropoietin, uh, which is basically uh, something that boosts the production of, uh, of red blood cells. For patients uh, that are symptomatic, that have problems because of big spleen or something we call splenomegaly, and or patients who have symptoms uh, such as fatigue, weight loss, or night sweats, uh, the, the best uh, treatment option uh, currently is a uh, JAK2 inhibitor. Uh, so the medication is called uh, JAK-AV. Um, so it's pretty, pretty effective. Um, and uh, cer certain patients who uh, will have a, a big spleen may be offered another uh, therapeutic options such as uh, surgery, so surgically remove the spleen or even uh, radiotherapy, although these options are less and less seen now that we have uh, Jack Heavy. Um, certain patients will be offered chemotherapy, so these are patients that uh, for some reason are not eligible for uh, Jack Heavy, 
uh, and or cannot get uh, undergo surgery. Uh, um, so it's used to, re to reduce the spleen size and control the blood counts. Patients who are felt to be having a very high risk disease, so meaning uh, their risk of dying is, is significant within the next few years, uh, these patients will typically be offered uh, bone marrow transplantation. So this is a treatment option that has the potential to cure, um, but is also associated with significant uh, toxicity, so meaning uh, significant risk of complications. And in addition, uh, there are some experimental treatment uh, uh, to which some patients can be eligible. Uh, so I think it's important for patients to inquire, see what's available uh, in the institution in which they're being seen. Sometimes they, uh, they may have to travel across cities, uh, but I think it's, they should make the decision for themselves as to what is the, the best treatment option. Um, are there any potential treatment side effects and how would you let your patients know to manage these? Um, so the side effect will depend on the, the treatment. Uh, so in terms of the transfusion, in general, they're well tolerated. Um, but what we see often is uh, some form of yo-yo uh, cycling, whereas patients will feel great right after transfusion, have good energy, good quality of life, but in the few days or sometimes a week before the transfusion, uh, they feel again quite tired and weak. And so the key is in consultation with their doctor that they find the right frequency of transfusion so that they don't go into these uh, periods that are where the quality of life is significantly um, affected. In terms of the uh, treatment with erythropoietin, uh, in general, it's quite well tolerated. There's very uh, little side effects other than convenience of having uh, an injection in their belly, at least in, in, in our patient with myelofibrosis. fibrosis. So it's, it's not something that is a major concern. Um, in terms of um, treatment with Jacavi, so it's a treatment that in general is well tolerated, but the biggest problem with the treatment is that it can exacerbate or make worse the anemia and the thrombocytopenia. So uh, it's gonna be important for the, the physician to follow the patient closely and uh, tailor and adjust the dose of um, Jacavi that is the right for that patient. And that uh, it's important to understand that uh, it may change with time. So depending not only of the blood counts, but also the symptoms, you find the right dose, but you, you expected that, you know, maybe in six months or a year or two, you may have to adjust the dose. That's, that's just a natural uh, course of things. So uh, the other uh, treatment is uh, uh, allogenic stem cell transplantation, so bone marrow transplantation. Uh, so this is a treatment that has uh, has the potential to cure, but has significant toxicities and even a risk of, of dying. So it is a, a, a big decision. So I have my patients uh, refer to a, a bone marrow transplant center um, soon. Um, and the reason for that is that they will have an opportunity to really uh, discuss and, and think um, and weigh in the all the consideration. So typically, it's a decision that they have months to make. So, uh, but it is important to uh, for them to have the opportunity to more, more than once meet their, with their doctors, not only with myself but also with uh, the transplant physician in terms of 
finding out whether or not this is indeed the right option for them. And at the end of the day, it is their decision oftentimes. Um, see what, uh, what fits best, not only their risk tolerance and, and goals of life. So when someone has myelofibrosis, what should they pay attention to and when should they call their doctor? So it really depends on the stage of the disease. So patients who are not symptomatic are very low, very like, unlikely to have uh, symptoms or develop problems in the short term. However, they need to remain aware of the fact that things can evolve with time and they need to be aware of the symptoms that uh, uh, are signs of evolution of the disease. So if they have more fatigue uh, because of anemia or weight loss or night sweats or signs of uh, splenomegaly or big spleen, such as uh, abdominal discomfort and inability to eat large meals. These may be signs that the disease is evolving, in which case they should see their doctor to see whether or not they need to readjust the treatment plan. So for patients who have advanced myelofibrosis and who are on treatment, um, it's important for them to be quite uh, aware of the side effect of the treatment that is offered to them so that they can um, feed that back to their treating physician and adjust uh, so that their medication and treatment plan is adjusted accordingly. The other thing that is important to, uh, for them to understand is that the patients who have advanced disease are immunocompromised. So in other words, the immune system is lower and they're high risk of, comp of infection, which is quite relevant uh, in this uh, current uh, state of uh, COVID. Uh, so that is something they will need to be careful uh, as if, uh, so if they get sick, uh, they are likely to get much sicker than normal patients. Um, so, so yeah, so like I said, I, I think what's important is that uh, all, all these patients uh, are very much uh, aware of their symptoms so that they're in, in, able to feed that back to their, their treating physician so that we can optimize their treatment and, and understand that things can will change with time. Is myelofibrosis research progressing currently? And if so, what kind of good news can we expect in the next five years? So I have to say that uh, I'm quite optimistic. Um, and so the reason why I am is that I've seen a fair bit of evolution. So when I was a, a trainee in hematology, uh, we had very little therapeutic options. And, very little that was actually effective. Uh, so JAKV, for instance, was only available in some centers in the context of clinical trials. Uh, we had a poor understanding of which patient would benefit from a stem cell transplantation. Uh, whereas now, because we've identified lots of mutations uh, that are involved in the pathophysiology of myelofibrosis, uh, this has led to a fair bit of interest from the pharma pharmaceutical industry. And as a consequence, there's many uh, drugs that are being developed and there's uh, clinical trials right now available at basically all stages of myelofibrosis. So be it early stage or patients who have uh, relapsed or even refractory uh, disease and also patients who uh, uh, we have better understanding of which patient and when send patient to uh, stem cell transplantation. So I, I think I'm, quite optimistic that, uh, that uh, the prognosis that we see now are, are soon going to be outdated. In other words, that the prognosis we're going to be giving to patients five years from now are going to be much better. Uh, and hopefully we'll be able to cure more patients than we are now. Are, are you currently doing any research in myelofibrosis? So 
so at the at our hospital, we're quite committed to uh, improve uh, patient care. And the only way you can do that is uh, having uh, specialized clinics. So we have, as of uh, a year and a half now, we have a dedicated uh, myeloproliferative clinic where uh, which allows us not only to set up a database, but also to uh, conduct clinical trials. So we have a trial coming up with patients um, who have refractory uh, myelofibrosis, so patients who are uh, failing or not able to tolerate the HIV. We also, uh, hopefully at the beginning of next year, we'll have a trial for patients uh, with new diagnosis of myelofibrosis or an alternative to uh, HIV. Um, and uh, so I think, uh, uh, so the whole idea there is to help uh, improving the care of our, of our patients. And I think we're likely to, to uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a quite a good opportunity to contribute uh, that way. This is a great amount of information. Thank you so much, Dr. Villeneuve, uh, for taking the time to talk to us and for all the research that you're doing as well. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. If listeners have any questions about myelofibrosis or need support to navigate your experience, I encourage you to connect with the community services manager in your area. Visit bloodcancers.ca to connect with us. Until next time, stay well. Thank you for listening to the Blood Cancer Experience podcast series by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada. You can find us wherever you access your favorite podcasts, so be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. If you have an idea for the show, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email with your comments or suggestions to canadainfo at lls.org. The Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada is dedicated to funding cutting-edge research and supporting people affected by blood cancers. To learn more and access resources including fact sheets, booklets, and webcasts, visit llscanada.org.